Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Church, give him some praise in this place. You know, sometimes we sing things we don't even realize what we're singing. We've maybe heard this term, hallelujah. We just kept declaring hallelujah, hallelujah. And that term in Hebrew means God be praised. And so in this house, in this church, we declare that our God, King Jesus, will be praised above all other names. He is the name above all names, the King above all kings. And how many of you know it's better when we do it His way than when we do it our way? And so today, as an example of surrender, I want all of us in this place to just lift our hands right now like this. Lift your hands as a sign of surrender. I want you to say it with me. Say hallelujah. Say it one more time. Hallelujah. Lord, we come before you declaring in this house, you be praised. God be praised. King Jesus be praised. We want to do it your way. God, in a culture, in a world that's all about our way, we want to do it your way. It's so much better your way. It's so much uh, more right your way. God, there's so much more purpose your way. And so today, with hands lifted, we say hallelujah. God be praised. We'll do it your way. I'm done doing it my way, God. Tell them that. Tell them. If you're done doing it your way, tell them. God, I'm done doing it my way. I want to do it your way, Jesus. So we ask for your kingdom come. Your will be done in Sacramento as it is in heaven, in Project Church as it is in heaven, in our lives as it is in heaven. We want it your way, Jesus. We thank you, we love you, we give you praise in your name. Amen. Come on, give him one more shout of praise in this place. Hallelujah. God be praised. Hey, as you're seated, turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm doing it his way. Come on. Tell him, I'm doing it his way. Well, good morning, Project Church. How y'all doing today? If you are new, my name is Caleb, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the joy, the pleasure of bringing God's Word to you in this place. We are in week two of a series called Overflow. Overflow was the word we declared over 2021 for our church, and we've come to a time in our year where we often do a series on financial stewardship, and uh, that's what we're talking about. And so if you came to Project Church for the first time, maybe it's your first time at church in a long time, and you're like, I knew it. They always talk about money at church. That's what we're talking about today. And I got to be real with you, like, there's a lot of, of cooler things, some would say sexier things that I could have talked about, and by sexy, I mean cool, uh, other than finances, than being a good steward financially. I could have talked about faith, and y'all would be like, yeah, that's so encouraging, uh, hope, yeah, like, give me that. But when God tells you to do something, how many know you got to be obedient? And so God said, no. Your church, my church, our church needs a, a series, four weeks, on being good stewards of what I've given them. 
And at first I was a little hesitant, and then last week I did a poll. I don't know if you were here, but I did a live poll on the screen. And at the end of the poll, I asked the final question was, how do you manage money? Are you a saver? Are you a spender? Are you a budgeter? Or are you winging it? And the vast majority of people were winging it or spending it. And I said, oh, they need this series, Lord. And so <laughs> that's when I knew I was walking in obedience. And so today we are kicking off or coming to week two of the Overflow series, a series on financial stewardship. Last week, we heard about what are we chasing? Are we chasing paper or purpose? And got a lot of great feedback from last week's message, uh, just hearing about people saying, man, I was challenged. I do think I've been chasing some of the wrong things. And I was thinking about, because man, we're still chasing wrong things. How many know sometimes we chase platforms over purpose? I know in this culture with social media platforms, we want our followers high. Uh, we want our influence game strong. But let's be real. At the end of the day, purpose is what we must be chasing as God's people. I was thinking about today, and it got me thinking about basketball. Uh, I, I talk about basketball from time to time. Big basketball fan. Grew up playing. Uh, and, and I'm a huge Sacramento Kings fan. Keep praying for them, you guys. <laughs> Um, we are on a two-game winning streak, and so come on, somebody. Glory be to God. Uh, but 3 p.m. today, we need another dub, so keep praying. Uh, the Kings need to make the playoffs and break this playoff drought. 15 years, longest in NBA history. Come on. We got to intercede. Maybe right in Jesus. No, no, I'm kidding. <clears throat> but I was thinking about basketball. You see, basketball starts in element elementary school. In elementary school, what is basketball all about? It's all about participation, right? Just participating. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a medal. You could be the worst kid out there or the best kid out there. It doesn't matter. It's just about participation. We love it as parents. We go, we laugh, we, we cheer. It's a joyful time. Watching these kids travel up and down the, the court, it's hilarious. It's just about participation, nothing more. But then you get to middle school. In middle school, it shifts. You see, middle school is about preparation. I actually remember being in middle school and seeing middle school, it's not about participation any longer because now there's cuts. And I remember trying out for the team in eighth grade and, and only 15 people made the team. And they listed you in order of how good you were. This is how they did it at my school. And I, 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 I'm filled with fear. I'm, I'm I'm petrified, I'm mortified as I'm walking up to the sheet on a, a Monday morning and I walk up and I scroll down the sheet. I don't see my name, I don't see my name, I don't see my name, I don't see my name. I get to number 15, Caleb Cole. So let me tell you something. I'm the worst player on the team. But guess what? I'm still on the team. And so I was like, I did a dance, glory be to God. I didn't care that I was 15th, I was on the team. And I knew... That middle school basketball was now about preparation. It was preparing you for high school. Because once you get to high school, how many of you know high school ball, it all changes. Now it's about dedication. Like only the people who are dedicated, who work hard, who get in the gym, who practice out on the blacktop, who are putting in the extra work, they're the ones who excel. And so I actually watched while in middle school, in eighth grade, I was number 15 on the team by 
my junior, senior year, how many know your boy was at the top of the list? Come on. Because I'm about that dedication, church. So high school, it changes. It's about dedication. But then you get to college, and it's a whole different ballgame. You see, college is now about separation. There's a huge line drawn, the separation. It is a small percentage of people that ever play beyond high school. There is a separation moment. And I believe today in Project Church, when I could have been preaching and teaching on anything, and I'm coming to you with a word entitled first or fake. I got two titles for this message. Real faith puts God first. That this is a separation moment for the church. It's a separation moment for our church. What are we separating? We're separating the fans from the followers. You see, fans sit on the sidelines and they're critical and cynical and they're armchair quarterbacks. That's me watching the Kings. I'm the most critical, cynical fan of all time. But I'm not in the game. And I think so many people have approached the church because of church wounds or background or past hurts. They've approached the church in the same way. And, and, and this is a separation moment where I believe God is going, okay, are you going to be a fan or are you going to be a follower? Are you going to sit on the sidelines or are you going to get in the game? How many know it's fun being a fan, but it's way more fun when you're playing in the game? There's nothing like it. And so today, I want to talk to you about that, this season of separation. You see, generosity, stewardship, it is not a cool topic, and yet it's something that I believe God is calling our church to. Here's the main idea. Here's what I want you to take away today. What you're willing to part with tells God what you're willing to be a part of. I'm going to say it again for you. What you're willing to part with tells God what you're willing to be a part of. Because I think, much like we heard about the rich young ruler last week, many of us are not willing to part with the things that we've been given of this world. And what God is looking for is some people who who will live open-handed, that will live with a generous heart and mindset. And I'm not just talking about giving to the church. I'm talking about being generous with the people around you. God is looking for some people who will part with the things of this world in a culture that tells you to hold on with both fists tightly clenched. As I was thinking about this message, I know I started to think, man, I I know what they're thinking. They're probably thinking the church must be struggling financially. So Caleb is trying to get us to tithe. And I just got to say to you, actually, uh, a couple words that my kids like to say to me. They say, nah, fam. (laughs) You see, I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to get something to you, church. The blessed life is about giving. Because it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I think we all in this place want to have a blessed life, but we think it's about getting. And I want to tell you, first of all, when I said now, fam, it's because, listen, 2020 was our best year ever in Project Church history. And 2021, right now, we are up 12% over 2020. Come on, church. Give God a praise break. 
So I'm not bringing this word and this message to you today because the church is struggling. It's the very opposite. I'm bringing it to you because I believe God wanted to remind us of what it looks like to put him first. Real faith puts God first. You see, there's some lies that I've heard as it relates to Christianity or the Bible. I actually got a video sent to me yesterday by a pastor friend of mine. And it was a video telling people that if you're a Christian, you won't own a dog. And uh, I watched this video and laughed through the entire thing. You see, the video said, if you own a dog, you're distracted from God's purposes for your life. If you own a dog, you waste money that you could be blessing other people with, which that is actually true. But uh, (laughs) it gave all these reasons why owning a dog was actually not what Christians should be doing. And uh, I laughed through it, but let's be real. This is a lie. This is a religious spirit. People will do anything they can to try to pull Christians down. But then I started to think about some other lies that I've heard in the church. There's a lie that if we love Jesus, we'll be poor. I've heard this. I've had people project this onto me, even as a pastor. Well, if you're a pastor, you should be poor. You should always be struggling, suffering, barely making ends meet. There's another lie, though, that says if you love Jesus, then you'll be rich. And if you're not rich, then it's because you don't love God enough or you don't have enough faith. And so as a result... He's punishing you. But the Bible actually tells us that there are poor people that love God. And there are poor people that don't. The Bible tells us there are rich people that love God. And there are rich people that don't. And so I know you maybe came in here today with maybe some preconceived ideas of what giving is about or what you should give to the church. But I felt like I just needed to bring the word. And so I'm going to be jumping around a few different texts, um, actually several different texts. So stick with me today. But what I want to share with you is this idea that there are four categories of people as it relates to money. And guess what? You and I are going to fall into one of these categories. The first is the ungodly poor. Proverbs 21, 25 says, the desire of the sluggard kills him For his hands refuse to labor. What is this saying? It's saying if you're lazy, there's a good chance you're going to be poor. This is not godly activity. To be a sluggard, one who sleeps, one who refuses to work, who refuses to labor. I'm not talking about people who have had injuries or health issues. But I'm just saying if you choose this and you're poor as a result, you're living an ungodly lifestyle. How many know there are ungodly poor people? Proverbs 28, 19 says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. This is an ungodly, foolish person because they're pursuing worthless things, get-rich-quick schemes. They're spending more money on the lottery than they are on giving back to God. They're chasing fantasies ungodly, foolish, poor person. 
Proverbs 13, 18 says, Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. This is an ungodly, stubborn poor person. Right? They ignore instruction. They don't listen. And what comes to them? Poverty, disgrace. But when you heed reproof, there is honor that comes. So here's what you need to hear about ungodly poor people. You can be poor and your faith still be fake. Did you know that? Because some people will tell you, oh, they're poor, they're suffering. Then they probably love God a lot. And that's why they're struggling. No, you can be poor and your faith be fake. Just because you are poor doesn't mean you put God first. You know, I was thinking about uh, MySpace. You guys remember the MySpace days? Who had MySpace? Who here is too young to have had MySpace? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you. These are babies born in the 2000s, okay? I was talking to this kid the other day. He said, I was born in 2001. I said, say what? After I graduated from high school. My goodness. I was thinking about MySpace. You guys remember MySpace because MySpace, what I loved about MySpace is MySpace had a top eight. And, and Tom was in all our top eights. My boy Tom. But I love the top eight because I would go to all my friends' MySpace pages and I'd see if I made it in the top eight. And if I was in the top eight, I was like, oh, come on, somebody. That's my boy, right? Like, I'm in the top eight. I made it in the top. I mean, it was an accomplishment. It was an achievement. It made you feel special. And then some of y'all were like me. You had girls sliding in and out of the top eight all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was, I needed Jesus back then. But let me tell you, those top eights told me where I ranked in people's lives. You look at my phone, I got a favorite list. And guess who's number one on my favorite list? My girl, my boo thing, Mary Chris, Therese, McLot, Daco, Cole. She's got more names than anybody in this house. She goes by Chrissy, but her real name is Mary Chris, if you didn't know. But let me tell you something. Just like you could look at my phone or my MySpace and tell who ranked where, I think we could look at your bank account and tell where God ranks. I mean, you know, poor choices, poor judgment, poor character can actually increase your potential to be poor. And that's what this is saying. It's saying if you're lazy, if you're stubborn, if you don't listen to wise counsel, there is a, a higher chance that you will struggle. You can be poor and your faith still be fake. Let me talk to you about the second category of people as it relates to money. It's the godly poor. Godly poor people. Proverbs 22, 22 through 23 says, Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their case and cause and rob of life those who rob them. What is God saying here? He's saying, if you're poor, I've got your back. He's saying, if you're poor, listen, I'm going to plead your cause. I'm going to be there for you. There are godly poor people. Psalm 113, 7-8 says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and the princes of his people. What does it say? God will actually elevate the poor. In his kingdom, it says the last shall be first, 
and the first left. I think there are a lot of rich people whose mansions, rich on this earth, are going to be much smaller than the poor people on this earth when they get to heaven. Because God elevates and honors and will bless the poor, maybe not in this life, but in the one to come. Luke 6, 20 through 21 says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are poor. So I'm like, I don't like this. Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Listen to me, church. You can be poor and put God first. You can be poor and put God first and actually stay poor. You can be poor, put God first, stay poor, because God, I believe, calls some people to be poor. And some of you are like, no, are you sure, Caleb? Is this biblical? Listen to me right now. You were chosen to live in this country. And in this country, we do have greater opportunities than many other countries. But the reason that we use and, and we take opportunities, like over the last few weeks where we've been sponsoring children in Kenya, is because there are people who were born there who God chose to be born there. And most likely, the majority of them, who many of them love Jesus and put God first, will be poor their entire lives. But God chose them to be there. Why? Because he has a purpose for them there. Because people there need to know about him. But how many know this too? If you've ever been to another country, been on a missions trip, I've traveled to dozens of countries, I've been in some of the poorest environments, and I've watched and seen the joy of the Lord in the people despite the lack that they had financially. Because you can be poor and put God first. You can be poor and have the joy of the Lord in your heart. I do believe that God chooses some to be poor. There's a third category of people as it relates to money, and that's the ungodly rich. How many of you know just because you're blessed financially does not mean you have the favor of God upon your life. The rich young ruler, I, I read the story last week. There's a rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says to him, he says, you need to follow this command, this command, honor your father and mother, uh, don't commit adultery, he gives him this list. And he says, I've done all these things, what must more I do? And Jesus says, sell all your possessions and give it to the poor then you'll be saved. And it says that he went away saddened, downtrodden, defeated, discouraged, for he had great wealth. You see, God was looking at his heart. Jesus knew that his money mattered more to him than the salvation, the eternal life that he was offering. The issue wasn't his wealth, it was his heart. And we take this one message or passage and we make it about his wealth but the fact is we can be wealthy in our bank account but poor in our spirit we can be wealthy in our bank account but poor in character we can be wealthy in our bank account but poor in heart james 5 1 says come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you what does the bible tell us the bible says jesus actually gives a parable he says it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel 
to fit through the eye of a needle. Now, I don't know if you understand this illustration because we don't have camels walking around today like they did, but y'all seen them National Geographic. You've been to the zoo. The camels are big and a needle is small and the eye of a needle is even smaller. He says it's harder for a rich man to get to heaven than for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. And, and the, the disciples are shocked and they're like, well, well, then how can anyone be saved that's rich? He says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. I just want to tell you, it's hard to be rich and follow God. It really is. It's hard to have wealth, great wealth, and still follow God. Why? Because so often, instead of us owning our possessions, our possessions start owning us. Instead of us putting God first, we start putting other things first. Instead of us putting God first, we become fake followers. How many of you know you can be rich and your faith still be fake? Just because your wallet is full doesn't mean your heart is. Just because you're blessed financially doesn't mean God's favor is upon you. I know some of you are in here and you're going, man, Caleb, like, why are you talking about money so much? Like, do we really need this? You know, I, I thought I could illustrate this just by looking at the Bible. Do you know that 16 of the 38 parables Jesus tells are about money? Do you know that one in 10 verses in the Gospels talks about money? Do you know that 2,000 verses in the Bible have to do with money? Do you know that 500 verses in the Bible have to do with faith? 500 verses in the Bible have to do with prayer. Those are important things, right? Faith, prayer. 2,000 verses in the Bible have to do with money. So would you agree that God cares about money? Would you agree that God cares about how we manage our money? And yet in the church, we're afraid to talk about it. Because we don't want to upset anyone. We don't want to offend anyone. And I just got to tell you something right now, church. I got over offending people a long time ago. You can be rich and your faith still be fake. And the final category of people as it relates to money is the godly rich. Abraham, they're leaving for an illustration here in a moment. You see my tables. They're all offended. No. They're going to help me with something to illustrate a point for you today. Malachi 3.10 says this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I want them to just leave that up for a moment, that text. Do you know that this is the only scripture in the entire Bible where God says, test me in this? See, I, I play basketball still, and when someone's talking, I go, try me. Right? Try me. And that's what God is doing here. He's saying, try me. Test me. Test me in this. Bring the tithe. Step out in faith. Give above what you thought you could give and watch what I'll do. I'm standing here before you as a testimony 
of a life of faithfulness and giving. I started giving a tithe when I was a boy. And I've been faithful. In all these years, and now I just turned 40. And I'm still giving the tithe. The first. I had a couple people after church come to me and say, man, I got to tell you, uh, we used to give what was left over. And it was crazy how often there was very little left over. But when we started to tithe and give the first, the first fruits, I actually started to manage the rest of my money more wisely. And before I knew it, I had more with 90% than I did with 100%. I had multiple testimonies of that after the 9 a.m. service. Why? Because God can do more with 90% than you can with 100%. I'm just being real with you. God can do more with 90 than you can with 100 See, last week I, I put out some statistics off the top of my head and they were so wrong. How many know 85% of statistics are made up on the spot? Some of you will get it later. But I want to tell you because some of you are like, well, man, I don't have to worry about getting through that eye of a needle because I'm not rich. If you make $33,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of global earners in the world. I looked it up. If you make fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year, which is below the poverty here in America, poverty level, you're in the top 5% of earners in the world. If your household combined makes $85,000 a year, you're in the top one-tenth of 1% 1 of global earners. I mean, you know, we don't feel rich because we lack perspective. But when Jesus told the story about how hard it was for a rich man to get into heaven, harder than a camel to fit through an eye of a needle. He was talking about most of us. It's hard to be rich. It's hard to live in this culture and put God first. And that's why I believe that tithing is so important. Because bringing God our first, it does something in our faith. Because now you're no longer trusting in what you can do it won't make sense in your mind, but you're trusting in a God that owns it all, provides it all, has it all, and you can trust with it all. I want to illustrate this. They're going to begin coming. Come from the back. You see, Laura is going to illustrate the 10%, and everybody else is going to illustrate the 90%. I just wanted you to see this. You see... We bring God the first fruit, 10%. And then God says, all right, and then you manage the other 90%. That's what stewardship is. That's what biblical stewardship is. That we bring God 10, and then we have 90 to steward well. Matthew 23, 23. Because some of you heard me and you see this text on the on the screen, Malachi, and you're like, well, Caleb, that's Old Testament. That's Old Covenant, because if you don't know, Testament means covenant. So we have the Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant. But Jesus actually talks about the tithe in the New Covenant. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, 
but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, well, first of all, the Pharisees, they were rich financially because they took advantage of the people. Secondly, they had a, a spirit of religiosity upon them. And so they always gave the, the tenth, the 10%, but they didn't practice justice. They didn't practice mercy. They weren't faithful in the other areas that God was calling them to. And so he says, look, you have to do both. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He says, yes, tithe, but also do justice, love mercy, be faithful as one of my followers. And he's saying the same thing to us. You see, once again, I'm a testament, I'm a testimony of what this kind of living looks like. As a boy, I started giving. Let me tell you, my grandma and grandpa always gave me $100 for my birthday. Come on. And you know what? I learned from my parents that I was supposed to tithe on that. So as a boy, I would bring $10 and put it in the offering at my church growing up. How many of you know when you give $10 out of 100, that's pretty easy. But then I got older, I got a real job. And then it was like, oh, now I got to give $500 out of 5,000? That's a little harder. How many of you know $1,000 out of 10,000 feels even harder when I hit that church center app and say give. When I go to projectchurch.com forward slash give and I submit it. And I say, here you go, God. It hurts a little more now than it did when I was a 13-year-old boy giving $10 out of my hundred. But I'm a testimony standing here before you today to say, hey, I haven't always had abundance, but I've always had enough. God has always met my needs because this is the kind of life I've led. You see, I think this is starting to take a little more root in your spirits and hearts right now, isn't it? Are you watching what's happening? This is what God asks. And this is what you have. As I look at it, as it soaks into my mind and my perspective and my spirit, I think so often we, we think, how could I do it? I mean, the bills are racking up. Caleb, I got kids. I got debt. I got student loans. I got a house payment. I got all this. How could I do this? You want to know how you could do it? Because 90% with God is better than 100% without him. And so I'm not here today to make you feel guilty. The goal of this was not to make you feel guilty. The goal of this was to give you a physical illustration, an object lesson, to say this is what tithing looks like. And I think that some of you, I mean, I could spread it out and make it more real for you. I think that some of us right now in this place, I, I don't want you to feel guilty. That was not my goal. What I wanted was for you to look at your faith and say, am I putting God first? Because this was a separation moment, as I said. We're either going to get in the game or stay on the sidelines. We're either going to be a follower or a fan. 
And I believe God is looking for some followers. And so here's my challenge to you today, because some of you are like, Caleb, I could not do this. Like 10% of my income, that's impossible. Let me tell you, maybe you just need to start somewhere. God's not looking for tippers. Or we just tip God after a good sign. Ooh, that was a good word, Caleb. All right, I'll throw a few bucks in. Ooh, worship hit different today. Look, it's starting to fall on the ground. That's the overflow right there. Worship hit different today. So, so I'm going to give a little on top. No, God's not looking for tippers. But I think some of you need to start somewhere. Maybe you just say, all right, I've never given anything. Maybe you need to start with 3%. Maybe you need to start with 5%. Don't worry about it. Let it fall. That's what 90% looks like. Let it fall. Some of you need to just start somewhere. 3%, 5%, 7%. As a kid, I gave 10%. I believe that's a great starting point. Now Chris and I give over 10%. Why? Because that's what we feel called to do. And I've watched God show up time and time again. Faithfulness in my life. They just keep coming. I hope today... That as you watch this, as you look at this, as this is illustrated for you, that you begin to think, God, am I putting you first? First or fake? Let me read a final text to you. Ephesians 5.2 says this, And walk in love as Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, God asks us to sacrifice, to give, to trust him. But let me tell you something. He asks us because he made the ultimate sacrifice first. He came as a man and died the death that we should have died so we could receive the life that only he could give. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. God's asking this of us. I love pineapple, so I might take this one home. God's asking this of us. He says, you give me this and then you manage this. But here's what he says, you give me this, and I'm going to bless this. You trust me with this, and I'm going to make this more than you could imagine. 90% with God is so much better than 100% without him. So church, today, may we see the sacrifice that he paid, the sacrifice that he made, and may we stop being fans on the sidelines. And may we get in the game with real faith, walking out what he's called us to walk out. You see, I'm not just trying to get you to give to the church. I'm trying to get you to give generously to all those that God is calling you to give to. To the people you see on the street, to the family member that may need your help, to that person that you have a burden and a heart for to those that you may come across and God may say, no, that's the person you're to bless today. I want us to be that kind of people. I want to be that kind of person because that is the blessed life, church. That is the overflow life. Would you bow your heads with me across this place?
You see, before we transition, we're going to actually baptize a few people today right here in this room. But before we do that, I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond on a day where I was talking about generosity and giving, financial stewardship. We must always be reminded and take it back to the cross that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate gift, the ultimate offering. Why? So you could have life. And so there's somebody in here who's been running from God. You've turned your back on God. You've chased after the things of this world. You've lived tight-fisted. And today, God wanted you to come back in a right relationship or to surrender your heart to him for the first time. I want you right now in this place to respond. So if that's you, you need Jesus. You need to give your life to him for the first time. You need to rededicate, recommit your life to him. You've been running, and you need to come back in a right relationship with him. I want you to lift your hand. One, two, three, go. If that's you, put your hand up in this place. Yes, 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 yes. Anyone else? Yes, yes. Come on, church. Give God some praise. You can put your hands down. Hands going up in the room. Everyone here, repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for making the ultimate sacrifice, for coming and dying so I could have life and life eternal. Today, I confess my sin. I'm nothing without you. I ask you to change me, my heart, my life, my soul. From this day forward, I will live for you with all that I am and all that I have. I love you, Jesus. I pray all this in your name. Amen, amen. Come on, let's rejoice again with these people who made this decision to surrender. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to baptize a couple people. I don't want you to go. I want you to stay. I want you to celebrate with these as they take this next step in their faith. They're going to head out right now and get ready. Listen, maybe you've never been baptized in water. This is the command of Jesus. He did it himself. We have shorts, t-shirts, towels. If you would like to be baptized today, right now, on the spot, you can do it. You can head out that back door and down the hall, and we will take care of you. You can do a ray right here in this place right now. Would you stand to your feet right now with me? I want us to worship for a moment, and I want this to be a moment where we sing and this song be our heart declaring, Lord, I'm putting you first. I'm not going to be fake. I'm not going to be a fan. I'm committed to be a follower. So today as we worship, let this declaration, let this song be our act of saying, God, we're putting you first in our lives. Come on, lift your voices with us, church, in this place. Let's sing. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church Podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.